0: Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, a, a, a Sunday that I'm passionate about. Um, you won't see me post online about very many political issues because that's just a, a quicksand of, of opinions. But I will post online about abortion and the sanctity of life because that is so clear in Scripture and is something that we are called to to support in Scripture. On January 13th, 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation. Designated January 22nd as the first National Sanctity of Human Life Day. January 22nd, 1973 was the day that the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand in all 50 states. Churches around the United States use this day to celebrate God's gift of life. Commemorating the many lives lost to abortion and we commit ourselves to protecting human life at every stage. On Friday, we saw the March for Life in Washington, D.C., and I don't know if you got to see any pictures of that. I saw one that was just a a time lapse of the entire march, and it was amazing and wonderful to see so many people standing up for life. And we want to stand and and declare boldly that that God's Word says that abortion is wrong because we want to protect life at every stage. And at the end of what I just read was, was the idea that Sanctity of life is protecting at every stage, from conception to death, to our last breath, from womb to tomb, sometimes we call it, we want to protect life. So often we talk about abortion, and we have in the past, and a few years ago, you can look that up, we did a message that gave a defense for the sanctity of life and an argument against abortion. But today I want to go a little different direction. I want to focus on something a little different because when we talk about the sanctity of life, we are saying that all life is valuable, like I said, at all stages. And so today I want to go to the end of life and to the final third of life, retirement age. And and forgive me as I I figure out what terms to use because I know we don't like to be called old. And so sometimes I'll use older, sometimes gray hair. But as I'm preparing this and looking at a youth culture versus an older culture, I realized I'm much more on the older culture side at this point, even though I I, I think I'm 20. (laughs) Not so much anymore. But we want to talk about how we age how we treat those that are aging, how we treat those as the body of Christ in the last third of their lives to give sanctity of life there, to give dignity. And unfortunately, in our society, we need to talk to talk about how we ethically end life. And so I want to address that today a little bit so we can understand some of the politics that we see about the end of life and euthanasia and assisted suicide as states are rapidly adopting these laws and allowing for that. What is a biblical defense for that? What is a logical defense for that? That'll be a little portion of what we talk about. So we want to think about this end-of-life stage. The foundation for all of this, the foundation for the sanctity of life, as Pastor Andrew mentioned, is that we are made in the image of God. And we talked about that in depth last year. God creates us in His image, and He's given us His qualities that allow us to have a moral character, reason, will, and an ability to be in relationship with Him. A soul sometimes, but it's more than just a soul. And that being made in God's image makes us intrinsically different from all other life. So as we talk about sanctity of life and we talk about issues of abortion or issues of euthanasia or how we value life at every stage, we've talked about adoption and fostering. Here's the deal. We are talking about creatures made in the image of God. Don't transfer this discussion to dogs and cats. They are animals, and that's a different situation where we are called to, to steward God's creation. But so many times I see this confusion of, well, what makes us different? It's that we are made in the image of God. And you can understand why culture is struggling with all of these life issues because we've taken God out of the create, out of, out of the equation. We've taken, cr- the fact that we are created beings away. And if we are not created beings, then there is nothing that gives us value more than any other creature. And that's where our culture is struggling. Does life have value? And that's why we're seeing so many laws and legislation really devaluing life at all stages. But because we are made in the image of God, we are intrinsically different. We are different from the animals. We are different from the chairs that you are sitting on. Life is to be valued. Life is to be valued because God gave it value. Because we are made in the image of God, we cannot treat any human life, including our own, as lacking value and purpose. We're sort of setting a foundation here of what we want to talk about. In Isaiah 46, 3 through 4, we see this from womb to tomb when, when the prophet says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me. And this is God speaking through the, the prophet. And the word for born there is to be lifted up. It's B-O-R-N-E. Who have been lifted up by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and I will save. I love that last verse. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. And so we see right in scripture, this idea that life is valued by God. It is cared for by God. It is lifted up by God from conception to our last breath. So, as believers, we stand for life. We stand for the sanctity of human life. We remember God's word, but also I challenge you be knowledgeable about the issues, because these issues are under attack in major, major ways. And think about it Satan wants to attack everything that God has created. And the the, the prize of his creation, the pinnacle of creation, is mankind made in his image who he has given his attributes to, his character to. We are the most looking like God of any of creation. And so Satan hates that. And he will systematically attack life at every stage because it represents who God is. And he hates God. And that's why we see the attacks on the unborn. That's why we see now that's that starting to be attacks on infants and babies. That's why we see the attacks on the end of life and devaluing life. Oh, you're over 40? Huh. Life's over. You're not worth anything. And that's where culture today is at, and we must stand against that. We must. Those that are older are often not valued in culture. And, and, and I'm using general terms here because I know that there are people that do, and I see it here at Village. But why are are older people not valued? Well, we live in a youth culture, don't we? Youth is celebrated. And and everywhere you you go, you see youth. We live in an individualistic society. Me, care for someone else? Me, care? No, no, I care about me. And I take care of me. And I do what I want. and, And I don't really have to care for those older than me. I don't have to care for those that are needy. And that extends all the way to the unborn or the, the moms that have, have gotten pregnant and don't know what to do and are, are just so distraught by that, and we, we fail to care for them. We live in a sports and athletic culture. From 12 to 6 today, you'll see that. In two weeks at the Super Bowl, you'll see that. We live in a culture where athletes are celebrated. Apparently, they have really good opinion on politics now. Why? Because we make them heroes. Well, how old is old in sports? 30. 30 is getting old. Tom Brady, sorry for those that are, are against the Patriots today, he is, he, he is an old, old man when it comes to football. Was he, 40-something? 40 41, 42? That's considered old in sports. So we live in this culture where it's a youth culture, a sports culture, individual culture. Sometimes financial contributions come into play. And as we retire, we don't have as much to contribute. And people may say we're a drain on society. Some stats. Barely half of Americans think that children have a responsibility to care for elderly parents. Process that. That is huge. Especially when we have a biblical command that if you don't care... To take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Many children abandon their parents or worse, try to help them die. Because we don't want the burden. One author wrote this, and I just want to read what they wrote because I just can't say it any better. Western culture participates in what has sometimes been called the cult of youth. The stereotypical strength, beauty, enthusiasm, and hopefulness of youth are not just celebrated... This picture is held up as the ideal against which much else is measured. Products and procedures are marketed to convince us that without them we are unfit for public display. Television commercials decry the shame of horrid age spots on the back of a maturing person's hands. We can no longer grow old gracefully. We desperately seek to maintain our youthful appearance through such measures as liposuction and facelifts, sometimes with gruesome results. But that's the culture we live in. And and the the danger of this and why we want to stand against this and why today I want to talk about those that are in the final third of life and retirees and how valuable what God has given is if if we go with the culture of the day, we can throw away one of the greatest treasures God has given us. The wisdom and the the personality and and the approach that so many people have as they've matured and lived life are vital for the health of a church family, of any family. And we've thrown that away and we've left a million dollars in the bank while we go hungry and starve trying to find our own way. And that is not the way that God planned it. What a gift God has given with an intergenerational church. And just look around. Look around. We have people from all stages, all ages here, and that is how it should be in God's church. Because we all have different things we're contributing. And for those here this morning that are in their retirement years and later, God wants you here. We want you here. Because you are valuable and you are cherished and you have worth we need you we need you so what is a biblical approach to how we look at aging and and in your notes i just have a series of questions and we'll answer those questions don't run out when you see how many blanks there are and how many items there are we'll just go through some of these things more like a list but um, i want to get through them and share them with you the first question is how does god view age and gray hair in our, our elder prayer meeting before the service, some of them looked at that and were like, uh-oh, I don't know. I, I know the joke was made about what about no hair, but um, we'll go with gray hair for that. Um, they made it, not me. Um, how does God view age and gray hair? A couple of verses I have there, and there's lots more we could go to. But Proverbs 20:29, 20, and these are some of the familiar verses, but we need to hear them again. We need to rehearse them. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. The splendor of old men is their gray hair. Now he's not just talking about a certain hair color here. The gray hair is representing wisdom and living life and the wisdom that comes from living life. And God describes it as that's an item of splendor. It's precious. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Proverbs sixteen thirty one says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It's something we revel in. It's a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. And I love that second part because so often it's an evidence uh, in believers of a life faithfully served for God. You know, if I know someone that's been a believer for 40 years and is still walking with God, I want to hear what they have to say. I want to go to them and say, How? How are you walking with it? How have you stayed close to God? How have you kept your passion for God? What have you seen God do? See, that gray hair is gained in a righteous life. That wisdom is gained. And so how does God view aging gray hair gloriously valuable? Gloriously valuable. Don't underestimate the power of a faithful life. The power of wisdom that comes through experiences of of faithfully following God. Now, I know none of us are perfect. And I know that there's people that are older that aren't walking with God or haven't walked with God long. And we sing so many wonderful songs about coming to the table and coming to God and His forgiveness. But, you know, I want to hear from someone that's that's messed up in life and that God has forgiven. I want to hear about God's grace. I want to hear about... Repentance and restoration because we need to learn from that. And so our starting question, how does God view age and gray hair gloriously valuable? And if God views it that way, then we should too. Getting old is not a curse. Feels like it sometimes. Getting old is an opportunity. An opportunity to share wisdom, to influence, to impact other people's lives. The next question there, and, and some of these may seem obvious, but I want to go through Scripture and, and, and set really a foundation. What then should our attitude and actions be to those who are older than us? So if, if, if age and gray hair is gloriously valuable to God, what should our attitudes be? And simple verse, and it's in your memory verse this week, Leviticus 19.32. And if you turn there this morning, we'll be going through a lot of verses, but that's what I want you to turn to, Leviticus 19.32. It's in the Old Testament, right at the beginning, the first five books. And it, it God is giving instruction for how to treat those that are older. If you don't have a Bible with, with you this morning, where there's a black one underneath a chair right around you, we'd love for you to take that, have that, so you have God's Word. But Leviticus 19.32, simple verse, but we get several points out of it. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man and you shall fear your God, I am Yahweh. Simple verse, right? Two commands and a link there. First command is respect. We're to respect those that have gone before, those that are older, those with grayer hair than we have. You see that in that first phrase, you shall stand up before the gray head. And this doesn't mean that whenever anyone older than you walks in, we should stand up or, or anything like that. But it means it, it, it was an image of respect for them. That was something they did to show respect, to show deference for those that were older than them. Now, respect is one of those words that can be hard to define. We've, we've done that in our love and respect class. We've talked about it. But respect, and, and we're going to see it compared to honor in this verse, and they're slightly different things, Respect is the idea of looking up to someone. If I had to simplify it, it would be to look up to somebody. In 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 the dictionary, it talks about esteeming them highly because of their excellence. And so to look up to someone, you're looking for those things that are excellent, and, and, and it's not just doing nice things for them. Respect is recognizing the excellence that God has put in them. We, we do talk about this in marriage because in Ephesians 5, wives are instructed to respect their husbands. And, and that's always been a challenging class. How do you define respect? But what we've come down to is this idea of looking up to them, of esteeming them highly because of their value, because of what they're contributing. And so when we look at this, it's looking up to those older than us in the church, giving them credit, giving them worth, understanding that that they have lived a life for God, understanding that they have so much to offer and there's excellence there. And so respect looks up to them. I, I love the joke that says we should respect our elders. They did their reports without Google. Do you remember going to a library? And index cards? That, that'll divide our generations right there. <laughs> Um, Oh, man, that's how we had to do research. We didn't know what Google was. You guys have it easy. Respect, though, recognizes those things and gives value to those. You shall stand up before the gray head. Second item there is honor the face of an old man. And so number two, the second point is honor. Respect talks about highly esteeming someone, looking up to someone, Honor has to do with how we treat them, to adorn them, the the Hebrew word means, to boast of them, to speak highly of them. And so honor is a very active word. To give them honor is, is to do things that show them honor, that show their worth, to adorn them and who they are. Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And you might say, well, hey, not everyone here is my mom and dad. But in the church family, we have spiritual moms and dads. It's setting a precedence for how we treat those that are older than us. Ephesians 6, Paul repeats that command. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the land. And so to honor means to give priority in life, to give importance to life, to make someone a priority. Honor means if there's two conflicting opinions... We, we honor someone by taking theirs. If, if we go out to the gym and, and we have snack and there's one piece of cake left, not, not that there's one for everyone, one piece of cake left and someone else comes along, honoring them is giving it to them, right? These are just simple, practical things. But we need to be honoring those that are older than us. It means getting outside of ourselves, getting outside of what I want, and counting them as more significant than myself. It means loving them, appreciating them, caring for them to the very end of their lives. So we have respect and honor, our commanded attitudes and actions toward those that are older to us. Don't miss the last phrase of this verse, though. It may not seem like it fits, but it is the powerful glue that ties it together. And you shall fear your God. I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. And, and so somehow our attitude to those older than us is tied, it is linked to our fear of God. And, and there's a couple ways this could be taken. One is that as we, we honor, as we respect, we are growing in our fear of God. And, and I think that's part of it. Because as we honor and respect someone, we are, we are getting ourselves off of the throne of our lives. We are getting ourselves as, out of being the most important. We are putting others as more important than ourselves. And that is the essential ingredient to beginning to fear God, is putting him as more important than myself. I also think there's a little bit of a warning here, that we do this because we fear God, and if God values them and I don't, I need to fear God. Makes sense. And so the fear of God, our, our our spiritual self, our spiritual growth, can depend on how we treat those that are older than us. One one last thought: What does Proverbs say? is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. So I know I'm making some links here. Just sort of follow me. If honoring those that are older than me is part, and respecting them is part of the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that means honoring and respecting and loving and caring for those that have gone before is part of building wisdom in my life. Isn't that true? So true. So many times we try to get all of our wisdom just from from everywhere except where we need to be getting it. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we need to fight culture on this. And one of the phrases in the 60s that was said, never trust anyone over 30. That was not honoring. That was not respecting. And the 60s was not a decade of great wisdom. Sorry for those of you that love the 60s. Because they rejected the generation that had gone before. God has set this up. The, the way He set up the generations is for our good. It's to pass on the vital things of life. In fact, to not treat elders with respect and honor is a sign of the collapse of a society. It's why people are so concerned today as we we talk about euthanasia, as we talk about assisted suicide, as we marginalize those that are older, it always represents the collapse of a society. Even in Scripture, Lamentations 5.12, and it's describing the collapse of, of Jerusalem, princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Part of the, the sign of the downfall in Isaiah 3.5, a, a prophecy about the fall of Israel. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. And so how we treat our elders, how we treat those that are in the last third of their lives, nearing the end of life, is essential to our spiritual walk. It's essential to society. It's essential to our community. We don't want to marginalize the issue as we marginalize the people. I want to to get into some of the current politics now, so let's just delve in. The next question there is, is it right to end life early to ease pain and suffering? And we see these Physician assisted suicide or euthanasia or assisted suicide laws popping up all over, over the place. Right to die, sometimes it's called. And in Oregon, that was passed a while ago and, and in states, one after another, this is being passed because it's being presented as something that is, is so merciful to people and so helpful to, to people to put them out of their misery. Keep in mind, that's what we do to our pets. It's not what we do to people made in the image of God. So some terms, just to understand some terms, assisted suicide, this has to do with helping someone end their life at their request. And so when, we, when, when you hear a law about assisted suicide, it's, it's someone, a third party being able to come along and help someone in their life, but at their request. Euthanasia is another word that is sometimes used, and it's a slightly different meaning. Um, in fact, it's derived from two Greek words, um, you meaning good, and thanatos meaning death. And so the meaning of euthanasia literally means good death. That should get the hairs on the back of your head starting to, or back of your neck starting to go up a little bit. Um, Webster defines euthanasia as the act or practice of killing or permitting the death of hopelessly sick or injured individuals in a relatively painless way for reasons of mercy. Shortening that, it's ending someone's life to end pain and suffering. And and we have to think through this as believers. We have to think through this theologically, but also think through this where this leads. What is our stance on that? What does the Bible say on that? One other distinction on euthanasia, you have voluntary euthanasia and involuntary euthanasia. And as, as the laws are being discussed, those are coming up, voluntary euthanasia is really the same as assisted suicide. It's, it's coming alongside someone else and saying, will you end my life? But involuntary euthanasia is ending someone's life when they haven't asked you to. And so somehow someone makes a judgment on if this life has worth or value and then ends their life. Perhaps they're incapacitated, but the slippery slope there is perhaps we just don't want the burden. And so so that's some of the terminology that we'll hear. Is it right to end life? Let me just say this right up front. I think I put it in your notes in red. No. It is biblically wrong to willingly end our lives early for any reason. It is biblically wrong to willingly end our lives early. Now, just by clarification, and please understand, we only have 20 more minutes today and so I can't nuance everything we say. We can talk afterwards, and I have resources, but we are talking here about actively ending a life. We are not talking about withholding extreme life support or extreme life-saving measures. We're not talking about letting the process of death naturally take its course. We're talking about actively taking someone's life before they would normally die. So five quick reasons why it's wrong. And we'll go through these quickly. We can talk more later. Number one, it violates the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. That's probably all we need. Right there. You shall not murder. It prohibits any act that would intentionally or through carelessness take the life of another human being. Yes, there are exceptions later in Scripture. Capital punishment, killing in war, and self-defense. But oftentimes, Scripture uses, when talking about this command, the phrase shedding innocent blood. And that's how they're distinguishing between murder and some of these other exceptions. We are not to shed innocent blood or take a life. God commands it. And that's enough. But let's go through four more reasons anyway. Number two, since God, and and understand this one, this one's really, really important. Since God created life in His image... Only the creator has the right to choose when that life is over. So as creator, he has rights over what he's created. Only he gets to choose when the last breath is taken. The phrase that sometimes is used in these states is my life, my death, my choice. The problem is it's not our life. We didn't create ourselves. That would be a trick. No, God created us. He gave us life. He sustains our life. We are his Life is sacred because God has given it and sustains it. It is his gift. We must not discard it. We must treat it with care. To treat it lightly is a supreme act of ingratitude. But it also suggests that we think we own our life when in fact God gave it and owns it. So God is creator. He gets to choose when it ends. Number three, God has planned and numbered our days, similar to the one before. But this talks about just His plan. He's planned and numbered our days, all of them, to the end. Psalm thirty-nine four and five says, "O oh Lord, make me known by my end. My, make make me known my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you." saying in the vastness of God, our lifetime is really tiny, but he's the one that made it. And he's the one that defines the parameters of that. Number four, it cheapens life. Really, when we talk about ending our life early, we're saying my life is not worth living, even though God has said it is, and he's given us more days. When we allow euthanasia, when we allow assisted suicide, it cheapens life because we are agreeing with that sentiment. One author wrote this, which is the slippery slope argument, but it does apply in this issue. Nations that have allowed for physician-assisted suicide find that a society can quickly move from merely allowing the right to die to the belief that there is an obligation to die on the part of the elderly and the very ill people who are draining resources from the society. That is chilling and it is already happening. where we move from the right to die to a perceived obligation to die. We're talking people made by God in his image for his purpose. This is why we talk about end of life at sanctity of life as well. Number 5 Suffering does not negate how God wants us to use our, wants to use our lives. God is sovereign. We've established that many times. He is sovereign. He allows what happens, and He can allow suffering in our lives. But when He does, He has a plan to use it for His glory. When we consider assisted suicide or euthanasia, we are attempting to short-circuit His plan and say His plan and His strength And his power is not enough. That's a problem. Because God uses our sufferings. He doesn't waste our sufferings. He uses it to point people back to God, to point us back to God. He uses it as a testimony. Think about Job. Job went through it. He had suffering, he had loss, he had pain, so much that his wife challenged him to take the euthanasia option. Curse God and die, right? Just be done with it. Take an action against God. He'll kill you. Life is good. You're done with your suffering. But he maintained his integrity. And in response, he says Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? I know suffering's hard. That's why it's called suffering. But I know that God is greater and his strength is greater. Is greater if we trust him. That's a quick 10 minutes on assisted suicide. We can talk more later if you'd like. But I want to get to the last section on the back side of your notes. The question is so, how do we put this into practice? How, how do we actually, as a church and as a people, put honor and respect into practice? And, and the best way I thought of, of researching this is I actually emailed all of the retirees in our congregation. And I asked them, how do we show you respect and honor? How can we do this? How can we um, do better at this? Or what are we already doing? And it was interesting seeing their responses. And it was fun seeing their responses. And so most of these things are out of their responses. So if you're like, well, you made that up. Well, no, no. Um, this was localized research. But I think it's, it's really helpful. First thing I have to say, though, overwhelmingly in the responses, the response was, I'm not sure I want to answer this question. And and the reason was I don't want to, to draw attention to myself. I don't know that I'm worthy of honor and respect. I, I don't want to put myself above others. And that humility and that godliness that I saw from from our retirees that answered, was stunning and it was amazing. Village, you don't know the treasure, or maybe you do, I hope you do, you don't know the treasure you have of people that have gone before that are walking with God. And their responses, I'm going to tear up because their responses challenged me to look inside and say, oh man, am I that kind of example? The humility, the not wanting to assume that they had wisdom, We have godly men and women here. Don't waste that resource. So some of the things they answered. Number one was the the answer that was on every paper just about, except maybe one. Seek out, listen to, and value the opinions of those that are older. Seek out, listen to, and value the opinions of those that are older. Some worded it, I'm, I'm summarizing, some worded it as be willing to ask us questions. And listen to our response. Even if you don't agree, listen to it and, and put value on it. We can ask opinions of those that are more mature than us about things that, that we're going through that maybe they've experienced, how they can help. We need to be learners and be willing to ask questions. Now, now this this means humbling ourselves, guys. This means saying, I'm going to ask, and I might not know everything and in in culture today, where do we usually go for wisdom? Google it's true. I, I hear it all that well, I looked it up on Google. i'm not sure I agree with you. Well, they might be right. They might be right. I might be wrong, but I 've got to tell you, some things on the internet aren't true. It's a shocker. The only thing true is Babylon B, but um no, no, just kidding. <laughs> Google cannot replace the wisdom of those that have gone before. YouTube cannot replace the wisdom of those that have gone before. Hear this clearly because I see culture minimizing wisdom and minimizing face-to-face contact and talking with people that have maturity and, and wisdom on these things because I found the answer online and it must be true. Now, I use Google a lot. I use YouTube a lot. But let me illustrate the difference. And Joshua and I were talking about this over lunch this week. And um, he, he brought up the idea of car repairs. And I, I had experienced the same thing in the last couple of weeks. I was, uh, Susie's car had some issues with the water pump and leaking. And I was trying to figure out how to replace it. And I looked up on YouTube how to do it. Could see it step by step, how to, to change this and take off this hose and this tensioner and... Um, I went and looked under her hood, and I'm like, huh, that was about zero help. So I went over to Edwards, and he opens up the hood, and he starts doing it, and he starts showing me. I'm like, oh, that's what they meant. There is value in someone that has done it before and seeing them do it. For Joshua, it was the time he came over to Phil's and you guys worked on his car and things that you can look online and read all day how to do it, but until you have someone that walks with you in life and shows you how to do it, it is not the same. When we were redoing my house, I, I, I read and, and I had heard from my dad how to do electrical and I tried to do some of it myself and he came over and he's like, Oh, son, you're going to burn your house down. And he redid every socket that I had, had put in or every, every plug that I had put in. And he showed me how. And he was right. But do you see how the personal example and coming and in hearing someone that has been through it is so important and so much value, more valuable than anything you'll get online? Again, I'm not saying don't use online resources. I use them all the time. But those that are older than us that have experience in this are valuable. Be willing to ask them questions. Because I know from the older generation at our church, they are not going to force themselves on you. They're not. And so it's up to us to say, hey, I'm going through this. Can you help me with this? You know, when, when we brought Jeffrey and Alicia into our home and went through the adoption process, We talked with like half a dozen of you that had adopted before. That was so much more valuable than anything I could have read. Because you get the nuances. You you read something, you look it up online, and you get the the core facts. Yes, and they're great, but you really don't get to discuss the nuances. And that helped prepare us as as best as you can be prepared. Um, That helped prepare us so much more than any other resource we had. Thank you for those that talked with us and helped us with that. In Scripture, we see this. In Titus 2, 3 through 5, it's talking about older women and younger women. And what does it say? It says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, and it gives some characteristics, and they are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. The model in Scripture is the older teach the younger. Guys, we've got to be willing to seek out and listen to those opinions. Seek them out. One author wrote this, and I loved how they worded it. Those gray heads hold treasures of insight. Those wrinkled lips can speak priceless wisdom. That weary heart has learned lessons we can only guess at. Truth, right there. Truth. And you can see when we start to see God's plan and see his value of all ages, when we see the sanctity of life, now we begin to value those that are older than us rather than marginalize. That's God's heart for his church. I got to keep moving. Number two, intentionally develop relationships with people older than you. This was also on on, um, a little over half of the, the responses to me. Enjoy those that are older. Get to know them. Glory in them. One of, the, one of the people talked about just how much she felt loved and appreciated because that was what she wanted to do. And, and, and because of some of the things the youth have done and some other things you want, she just feels so loved and appreciated. But that is a need. But to do that, we've got to love them. We've got to be in relationship with them. Intentionally develop relationships with people older than you. Again, they're not going to push themselves on you because of godly traits. And so glory in them, pursue them, seek them out. You know, some of these have been your Awana leaders, your youth directors, your nursery caregivers, your teachers. They have changed your diapers in nursery. Look them in the eye. (laughs) Build relationship with them. Speak to them, greet them. There should never be a Sunday that someone over 65 enters the sanctuary, sits down, and isn't greeted and welcomed and loved. Should never happen in God's economy. I've got to say, the notes that came in really complimented Village on a lot of ways that this is happening. And so I praise you for this. Keep this up talked about small gifts and cookies and and all kinds of other things, notes, initiating conversation. One person wrote that initiating conversation tells us you care. We want to know how to care? Go up and initiate a conversation. How was your week? How are you doing? So who do you think is going to win the football? No, no, don't do that one. (laughs) But then ask them about their lives. Ask them about their grandkids. Ask them about their walk with God, but initiate relationship. Number three, and we need to move through these a little quicker, respect them by showing kindness and deference to them. Kindness and understanding kept coming up, that even though we're old, still listen to us, still listen to, even though we may have different ways of doing things, hey, at least hear us out and listen to us and give honor to that i um, deferring to them or honoring them sometimes means giving them the honored spot or item. One person shared about on a, on a retreat that they were given the, the best place to sleep because they were the oldest. That's showing honor. That's showing respect. That is right and it is good. I, even at Young Adult Community Group this week, I was there and um, sat on the floor for something. and someone got up, gave me their chair and they sat on the floor. That actually meant a lot to me as above 20. Somewhere there. And this person was saying the same thing. That simple act meant so much. It is not hard to show honor if we're intentional about it. If we stop trying to take the best for ourselves and grab at whatever we can get and start putting others above ourselves. Number four. Tell them about their impact on your life. How are they making a difference? And invite them to continue to do so. How has their walk with God impacted you? How has their service impacted you? Thank those that have gone before for serving in significant ways and for continuing to do that. I love that we have retirees all over campus all week doing things, doing physical things, helping in ministry, it is. It brings such a richness to what we can do at Village and a maturity to what we can do at Village. See, one of the greatest gifts we can give those that are retired age or older is significance and meaning. In fact, studies have shown that retirement can be really hard because you lose some of the significance and meaning of life. You lose some of of... Your identity in life. One author said two weeks is about the ideal length of time to retire. And he talked about at that point, he needed to get a a second career, not in the workplace, but a second career of ministry, a, a, a new vocation of serving God in a new way. Because retirement sounds great. I just get to do what I want all day, every day and live for my pleasure. That gets old really fast. We are a people created for meaning. And the retirement years, I think, are some of the years that we can have the most significant impact on those around us. You know, if you really want to let them impact your life, ask them to pray for you specifically. And then watch out. Because God's going to do something. But by doing that, you're showing them honor. You're showing them value. You're bringing them into your life and letting them affect your life. Four more. Five, acknowledge the example of those who have lived more life than you. Acknowledge their length of their marriage. Acknowledge their military service, their work ethic, their responsibility on the job, how they've raised their family. Thank them for that example and then learn from that example. Number six, value their work and continue their work. One of the authors I was reading, and I loved this, said the greatest way to honor your elders is to secure the continuation of their work. Because if you value their work and continue their work, what are you saying about their work? It meant something, right? And it's worth continuing. Paul emptied his life into Timothy. Timothy. Timothy honored Paul and Christ by continuing what was faithfully entrusted to him. In fact, Paul wrote that, right? What you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Timothy honored Paul by continuing his work. Two others that are a little more physical in nature. Seven was also on some of the surveys. Um, Understand that an aging body and mind can be frustrating Yeah, it doesn't change a person's value. But it's important that as we respect and honor, we understand that that's an issue and it's a hard issue. And So don't get upset when someone older can't do the same things you can. Help. Participate. Be with them. You can read 2 Corinthians four sixteen 16-17, but basically Paul says, our outer self is wasting away. Guess what? Those of you that are younger, yours will too and it'll happen sooner than you think. (laughs) Encouraging sermon today, right? (laughs) And you're going to want those younger than you to come alongside you and, and be understanding and be caring. Paul says, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. Show compassion and understanding. Finally, number eight, care for the needs of those that are older. God does, and so should we. Care for their physical needs, we mentioned we already read isaiah 46 four but even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. I know that many of you are at a stage of life where you are caring for aging parents or have recently cared for aging parents, and that is hard, and that is challenging. And it is consuming, isn't it, so many times? But you are honoring God by doing so. You are honoring God by caring for, for their needs, by, by loving them. And it's why I think we need to give caregivers extra support because you're on 24-7, you're sacrificing. Life goes on hold. So we need to be praying for those that are caring for um, parents. Parents that are caring for others. We need to end. But I, I, in the last thing in your notes, what does, I just want to speak 30 seconds to those that are retirement age. What does retirement age hold? You, you've heard me talk to those younger about how to honor and how to respect those two things out of Leviticus. But this is the time for you that are retired. Use this time. Don't waste it. Use it as the most influential time of your life for God. As you retire, you have more time. You have more ability to do things. Yes, maybe, maybe you're not going to go run the basketball court and, and start a basketball ministry. We have others that can do that. But you can, you can minister in ways that are investing in people's lives because we need you and we want you to do that. We talk a lot about discipleship. If you're retired and you want someone to disciple, I will make sure that happens. You let me know and I will make sure that there are opportunities for that. Because we need your wisdom, we need your input. That is valuable to God. It is valuable to us. If you're if you're interested in thinking through that a little bit more, I would encourage just a little booklet. This is a big book, right? No, no, a little booklet by John Piper called "Rethinking Retirement," and um, it'll sort of kick you in the seat of the pants a little bit. But it is a, a wonderful, um, a wonderful way to think through. Those, those aging years. And so let me know if, if you're interested in something like that. Sanctity of Life Day, from womb to tomb. Today we talk about how do we make sure we are honoring and respecting life in the last third of life. Because we need to stand for that just as much as we stand for the rights of the unborn. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for how you have made your church And how you've made your church work to where there are segments here that have more energy than others. There are segments here that have more wisdom than others. There are segments here that have different gifting than others. And Lord, only as we come together and value life as you've made it, do we really see your power in the church. So Lord, I pray that we would be a people that honor and respect those that are older than us, those that have gone before. And that we do that willingly and lovingly and with great joy because every person in this room is made in your image and every person in this room has value because of you. Thank you, God, your name.